You may know that GP partners can own their own surgery premises and rent that premises back to themselves effectively with the NHS paying the rent. Now, if that sounds like a great deal, it can be, and it has some advantages, uh, tax advantages over, for example, a residential buy-to-let. But it's also incredibly complex to get that set up right and to get the right finance. There's a bewildering array of lenders all telling you that they offer you the best deal, and it can be really difficult to decide. And I've been through this process myself as a GP partner about a year ago, and once again, getting the right specialist advice for the right price was absolutely instrumental in making the right decisions. So obviously, this episode is more for the GPs out there. But if you're not a GP, we also talk about some real fundamentals that apply to anyone who's going to be getting a mortgage. So we talk about why the bank, your own bank, may not be the best place for you to get a mortgage. And this is a mistake that we see doctors making all the time. Your own bank is what we call a restricted advisor. That means that they only sell you their own products. So your own bank is not going to tell you that a rival bank offers a better product for you. They're going to try and sell you their own product. We also talk about how difficult it is to decide between a fixed rate and a variable rate and how to structure the borrowing to fit with your overall life goals. So hopefully there's something in this episode for everyone. The other thing to say is this is a sponsored episode. Now, what does that mean and why am I bothering to tell you about it? What that means is that today's guests offer a product or services that we believe in, have vetted, or have personally used ourselves. And if you choose to use this person, they will pay us a small fee. And that helps us to keep bringing you the free resources like this podcast, our free guides, and our website, which is totally free for doctors to use. Today's guest is also offering you a free no obligation consultation about your GP premises loan situation. So a significant benefit for you guys and a service that I know so many of our fellow GPs are going to find useful and need. Transparency is incredibly important to us here. And from day one, we've had uh, on our website makes it very clear exactly how Medic's money is funded. And I really encourage you to read that. We also publish our accounts online for anyone to read and you can find that as well. And yeah, unfortunately, that is the real numbers. There hasn't been some tax reducing wizardry done by Ed on them. But hey, we're all happy to work for claps, right? So I hope that you appreciate that level of transparency. It doesn't affect our editorial decisions and we are never going to recommend something that we don't personally use or believe in. Also need to read out our standard disclaimer, which is that this does not represent investment or financial advice and is for information purposes only. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. So on today's podcast, I'm delighted to introduce Ian Crompton from Primary Care Finance Consultancy. Morning, Ian. Good morning. So for those listeners, do you want to just introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, Ian Crompton. Um, previously, uh, in my, my first career, if you like, it was uh, with Lloyds Bank, 43 years with Lloyds Bank. Uh, 19, the last 19 of those uh, was doing pure healthcare. Uh, I set up the healthcare team that's now in Lloyds. 
retired about 18 months ago. Uh, didn't really want to pack up totally, so um, carried on as, a, as an independent consultant and broker. Uh, so I, I had previously specialised really in GPs, so I like dealing with GPs. And what I, what I do really is, is, is uh, primarily around the premises side, is, is find out what it is that clients are looking for, explain the options to them, get quotes from all the banks who sound totally independent, help clients decide uh, which is the best for them, for their circumstances, and hold their hands through the process. But I should also say at this point, some things that I don't do, which is I don't give legal advice, accountancy or tax advice or investment advice. Uh, but the good news on that part also is I don't charge the client anything because the deal is in this sector that basically if I arrange a loan for someone and give it to a bank, then that bank will pay me an introducer fee. So that's what I do. Awesome. And just for those non-GPs or maybe even some GPs, uh, you're talking about GP premises loan. So just really briefly explain that uh, some GPs own their own premises and then rent that back to the NHS. Just tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I think I think it's historic from when... Um... NHS was set up really. Um, I mean, you'll, well, some of you will know that, that there's um, what they call rent reimbursement, notional rental, or cost rent, which basically means that the, the NHS, if you like, will pay to rent your premises. So they, they will give you the money that it costs you to run your premises, is simplistically. So uh, if you want to rent them, then fine, you just get rent reimbursement, you pay a rent to the landlord, the NHS refunds you and it just passes through as it were. But if, if you want to be effectively your own landlord, then you can use that money to pay the mortgage. Yeah. And um, as you said, we're not giving investment advice or suitability of that, but no. uh, you know, it yeah. can be a great deal for GPs because you're essentially your own landlord um, and renting your promises from yourself and the NHS is, is paying you for that so it can in the right circumstances be a really great thing for gps and it's not something that we're really taught uh, as gps but yeah um definitely worth looking into okay i just want to pick up on a few things here so you worked for lloyd's bank for 43 years and yeah. lloyd's provide loans for gp premises but they are a restricted advisor which means that they they're a business so they only provide lloyd's bank loans and if there's a Correct. better deal elsewhere unsurprisingly lloyd's bank as a business aren't going to give you the heads up about that so now you said that you're fully independent so do you want to just tell us a bit more why that might be useful to gps who are looking to get a loan well i guess we'll cover some of this on the way on the way through actually but um it's simply that as you say whether it's lloyd's NatWest, Barclays, they basically offer you what you, what what they have available, they cannot offer you anybody else's product. So if you go into a BMW dealer, you're going to either come out with nothing or a BMW. They're not going to sell you uh, a Vauxhall, are they? I mean that that's sort of the the situation we're in. Whereas now uh, I can find you know the, the best, well the one hopefully that that suits what what you need. And it might be you might want the cheapest, you might want the most flexible, whatever. But I can actually go to the entire market and find the best one for you. Awesome. Okay. So let's get into the nuts and bolts. Imagine uh, I'm a GP and I own my own premises and I might have a loan or something. Just tell me a bit about what you do do and what, what you can't do and, and how that might help me. Well, the first thing I would do is, is ask you what it is you're looking for. I mean, that sounds a bit corny, but basically, you know, what is it that you're actually looking 
helpful. Um, then work through some of the different options. Uh, I think we're going to go through some of the top 10 tips that I that, yeah. that, um, that sort of cover off some of these points. Find the, uh, find the sort of loan that you want. Uh, and then I will go to my contacts in, in pretty well all the banks to find out what they would offer, what their rates would be, et cetera. Then I will come back to you and give you those and, and talk you through the options. Because like I said, it's not always necessarily the cheapest one that, that is the best for you. So, uh, And then I will actually liaise between you and the bank, get them all the information they need, et cetera, right the way through to, to completion. Yeah. And um, as you mentioned, that's at zero cost up front to uh, the GP. You get paid by the banks, essentially, if the loan completes. It is, Indeed, yeah, because I mean, you'll know that, well, not all banks, but most banks charge an arrangement fee or something like that. So I will get paid effectively out of that. Um, but there is no cost for me. So as I say to, to clients when I speak to them, you can sort of use and abuse me as much as you like almost and ask any you know, questions you like. I'm not, you're not on the clock when you're talking to me, basically. Yeah, and if you want to use an abusian, um, we've dropped his contact. <laughs> we've dropped his contact details below because, um, yeah, you know, it's really important this fast. So you mentioned top tips. Let's get into your ten top tips uh, for GPs who are looking to buy or restructure their loans. Okay, um, so I think um, the first thing I would say, and this one won't apply to everybody, but but the first thing uh, it might apply to someone if they're actually looking to buy from a landlord or or in the first instance, but most people it will be just a matter of they're, they're buying into an existing practice. But the, the first thing to look at is, is you know, how do you want to own it? Because as we've said, you could just, you know, rent it, do say the lease back if you already own or, or you just pay the lease and, and that's it, forget about it. But if you actually want to own, the question is, how do you own it? First and foremost, you could own it within the clinical partnership. So that means basically it's on the balance sheet of the practice accounts, etc. That's probably the most the most uh, common way uh, of owning it. Secondly, though, it could be within a property partnership. So you sort of separate the clinical from the from the property, and you have two businesses effectively. One step on from that is you you could actually do it through a limited company. So you set up a separate company to hold the property as effectively an investment vehicle. First thing to say on that again, though, is you've got to get tax advice on that because they've all got tax implications throughout the life and also when you want to exit, if you like, when you want to leave and, and sell, there'll be tax implications on that, so you've got to take advice. But the other thing, from a lending point of view, you need to think about what loan can you get because in very simplistic terms, uh, if you think of your home mortgage, if you go into the Halifax and will get a mortgage, then you'll probably get good rates, high loan value, etc. If you wanted to buy to let, then you would probably find that you couldn't borrow as much, you pay a higher rate, et cetera. So if it's within the clinical partnership, it's effectively owner-occupied, a bit like your house. If you're doing it through a separate vehicle, as they would say, like a, a property partnership or a limited company, that tends to be more an investment proposition. So you come under different rules, different pricing, et cetera. So the, the, it, when you're deciding on how to own, you've got to think about all the tax implications, so take advice on that, but also... Will you be able to borrow the same amount? And also, if you're doing it through something like a limited company, you've got to start thinking at the beginning how you own it, but also how you're going to get out of it, so how you're going to sell at the end. And if it's within a limited company, you'll find that succession issues, which often crop up within uh, GP partnerships, can become more difficult. 
Yeah, uh, that that is a really great summary of the key issues to think about. And there's not really any one size fits all in my experience, and I'm always amazed by how many different ways partnerships structure it. Um, okay, and yeah. then just I think this leads on from something you said earlier when you said that the cheapest rate is not necessarily the best deal, and that brings us on to your second point, which is deciding how to borrow uh, the money. So tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, well, the first thing I would say there, I mean, there's a bit later on about, um, you know, comparing like with like, as I, as I call it. But when I say about deciding how to borrow, I guess if you think of it as two extremes, uh, on the one hand, you might want to borrow as much as you can for as long as possible and pay the least possible amount back. So almost a bit like renting it. I mean, ideally, is people would say, and people sometimes suggest that you, you sort of go, get almost interest only, you know, so pay absolutely the cheapest you can and that way you maybe take any surplus income along the way but when you retire you probably don't get as much capital sum as it were it's a bit like an interest-only mortgage on your on your house the alternative to that though may be that you want to pay it off as quick as you possibly can make lump sum payments as you go etc uh with a view to just taking the hit getting it paid off as quickly as you can and at the end when you retire, you'll have more equity to actually withdraw sort of a bigger lump sum. So there's those two extremes, and obviously there's lots of uh, lots of variations in between. Um, also, you need to consider if you're going to borrow within the partnership, so as a partnership liability, to put it in those sort of terms, that it's an entire partnership loan, uh, or do you actually want to borrow as individuals? So you and I would actually have separate loans, separate arrangements, if you like. Um, I think the cleanest of those two personally is to borrow within a partnership. Uh, There's sort of a, a bit of, you know, comforting numbers, if you like, and you tend to get better rates, etc. cetera. Um, but if you do that, you do need to make sure that you've got a good partnership agreement in place with rules about how you, you know, when people buy, when they buy out, do they have to leave within a certain time scale, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. Um, sound advice to always have a solid partnership agreement. Again, I'm Indeed. amazed how much variation there is between partnerships there on that. So, um, yeah, I think that's a really good point. A bit like your how we choose to mortgage our own homes. You know, mm. you probably choose to mortgage yours differently to me and uh, any other podcast listeners. Indeed. It's an individual decision, which specialist advice is definitely recommended. Um, okay. Now, this is something I'm interested in um, about using the property as a security. So tell me a bit more about that. Well, again, I guess it's a bit like the house, isn't it? No, you, you don't think twice, really, when you buy a house, you know that the property is going to be used as security. Uh, what always surprises me is how many doctors, when they're buying into their premises, don't actually use the property as security. Um, they don't have to. I mean, there are options there, but but simplistically, if you use it as security, you will almost certainly get a better rate because it's lower risk to the bank, so you get a better rate. Um, I think there's some historic reasons behind why people have got individual um, mortgages, unsecured mortgages, um, and that probably worked a few years ago. But what you'll tend to find is, as a rule of thumb, 100,000 is about the most you'll get unsecured. Uh, and in many cases, the amount to buy in is more than 100,000. You, you've got a couple of banks that will go above that. But if you take that as a, as a sort of a benchmark, anything above 100,000, I think you should be looking at, at security. The other thing that I found, I found this in recent weeks as well, is it actually helps, I think, to have it have your name linked to the property, if you like, in one sense, with, through the bank. Because it's surprisingly, I found a few cases recently where uh, when we started taking the security, you find that there are still 
retired doctors, in one case recently from 1993, uh, that were still registered against the property and those still issues from those doctors with covenants, restrictions, etc., uh, from many, many moons ago, because there was no security. Nobody had looked at the detail on the deeds, etc. Money had changed hands, but it hadn't really been linked back to the property. So I think it's almost for your own protection that you are secured against it, your name's properly registered against it. And if you go through the process properly, as partners change, because the banks will be looking to renew the security, if you like, then they're almost doing you a favour by checking that the ownership's right on the way through. You know, So um, I think there are there's good reasons for looking at it as secured. One little sort of uh, secondary tip on that is if you're buying in uh, and you've obviously got to agree the amount that you're going to pay, um, normally you want to get a valuation. If you're going to use the bank and use security, then they will also want a valuation. They'll want an independent valuation. So the fact that you've just had one done won't matter. They'll want one of their own people to do it. So if that's the route you're going down, don't waste money, if you like, on your own valuation get the bank to do it, and then you don't pay twice. I like that tip. Yeah, definitely. There's no point paying for a double valuation. It'd probably be even the same person who comes to do the valuation. It, twice, it could it? well be. I mean, the bank the banks use specialist panels, yeah. so you'll always, get a, you'll always get a good specialist valuer. But you're right, you could literally end up paying twice. Yeah, but for obvious reasons, really important to get that valuation done right because, you know, you, you don't want to – you could be buying in at the wrong amount. Okay, the, your next tip is my favorite mortgage tip across the board, <laughs> right? Uh, we touched on it earlier, okay? But I see this so many times. Just So your tip is don't assume your bank will offer the best deal. So we see this even in resident doctors getting residential mortgages. They don't understand yeah. that their bank is a restricted lender, which may work well for them. But you've got to shop the whole market by using a, an independent broker like yourself. Um, but go on, tell me your top tip for number four. Well, yeah, I mean... It... I think we've seen this with insurance companies as well, but may I say that, you know, if you, if you are, it's a sad thing to say really, but if you're too loyal, you sometimes find that they take the mick almost, don't they? And, you know, uh, and your premiums will go up. Whereas if you actually shop around, you will, you will find that somebody else is offering a better rate. And whilst there are all sorts of rules and regulations around it, you'll often find that banks will give a better deal to win new business, you know, maybe give discounts or something like that. So it, it is always worth shopping around even if it's just to go back to your own bank and say, look, I've been offered this down the road, you know, what, what could you do? And you might suddenly find that you get offered a better rate as well. So it, it is definitely worth asking that question. Um, also, the, the typical bank manager, if you're sort of going into the high street bank, as it were, to do this, you'll find that they often don't have very much discretion. They work on sort of pricing matrices, whereas I deal with the central business development teams who tend to have more discretion to give discounts or, or slightly better deal so uh, you can get this from me the, the the other thing that i don't think a lot of people realize is that within banks they uh they're segmented so you will have what they call business banking you might then have commercial banking you might have corporate banking and essentially that's three banks within one bank because what you'll find is they will offer probably different rates different charging uh and well, a whole raft of differentials, actually. The appetite, the amount they'll lend may well be different. Now, you can't necessarily pick and choose um, which segment, if you like, you're going to with a particular bank. But a lot of GP deals, I find, are pretty well on that threshold between two because some of it is done on the amount of debt, some of it is done on the amount of turnover. And it's often a matter of, well, if you pick the right one, you might get a better deal. Now, you 
going into the local branch won't get that opportunity, whereas I I would. Um, so it's just a matter of knowing knowing who to talk to sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, 43 years in the industry, you probably got yeah. quite a nice little contact book on the go, I imagine. Okay. It, it's it's poacher tone gamekeeper or the other way around, whichever it is. And it's, uh, you know, you know the tricks. Yeah, definitely. Um, so if, if, if my number one mortgage tip in general is your bank may not be the best place to get a mortgage is my number one tip. My number two tip is your tip number five, which is don't get suckered in by an attractive headline rate. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I wonder if stuck it was a bit too um, unsubtle, but anyway. Um, yeah, I, I think people often do this, don't they? It's the first question you get, what rate do you offer? Uh, and that's not necessarily the, the, whole, the whole picture. Within banks, again, let's relate this one again to, to mortgages, Tommy, which is years ago, <clears throat> you'd have gone into a bank and they would, um, you get a mortgage for 25 years, you were given a rate, and you know, in theory of 25 years, that it just ran and ran. Now what tends to happen is you'll get an offer to deal for three years, or you get offered a deal for five years, and then you renew it, and, and, and the sort of process starts again. And in banks on, on the commercial side, they can actually be similar to that. So what they may be offering you is a five-year rate. It might be based on a 25-year repayment profile, as they would say, but it's actually a five-year rate. So it might be a very attractive rate, but what it means is after five years, you're going to have to renew that. The rate could change. You're going to have to pay new renewal fees, setup fees, et cetera, like that, where if you actually want to be settled for 25 years and know that that's committed and, and, and no doubt about it, then the longer the, the longer you want it to be committed for, the higher the rate. So... Again, it's a matter of what you want, what's the best thing for you. The five-year rate may actually be the best, but have you been offered a five-year rate or have you been offered a 25-year rate or a 20-year rate? They will be different. And it's horses for courses in that sense, okay? Um, also, you will find that some banks will give what they will call an indicative rate, uh, which is what it says. Basically, they've got to um, assess the risk and then based on risk, they might actually... Increase the rate. So the rate they give you up front as an indicative rate may not be the rate you actually end up with if, if you go with them. Uh, there is also um, something which, which comes in on the compare like with like is some banks will actually charge a premium, uh, i.e. a bit more, over a certain loan to value. So the loan to value you'd perhaps be familiar with again with home mortgages, that's the amount of the loan compared with the value of the house. Same sort of thing applies um, with GP surgeries. But above that, the traditional security lending value, which for the sake of argument is about two thirds, if you want to borrow above that, they'll charge you a premium. So they might quote you the rate for the secured part, as it were, but actually there's going to be a, a premium put on top of that for the unsecured element. So you've got to get underneath what is actually meant by that rate. Yeah, that's just really, this is so valuable for, for people trying to navigate this and just underlines the benefit of specialist advice because, yeah, you said like you need to shop around like you do for insurance. Now, your your car insurance might be 500 quid a year and if you get suckered, as, as you put it, for 10% 10% extra on that, it's not a big deal. But if you get suckered on a, on a commercial rate loan of 100 grand by, you know, a couple of percent, uh, that is going to be an expensive error. So uh, that's great. Um, and now this is like the unanswerable question Question tip number six basically <laughs> fixed versus variable rates tell us a bit more about that and what gps should think about and you know in terms of this 
This is very much a personal one. I mean, again, like the like your domestic mortgage, you've probably got a choice between base rate linked, which is obviously variable, so it can it can go up or, or indeed down. Fixed rates tend to be more at the outset, so it will cost you more today uh, to, to take a fixed rate than a base rate link, but obviously that fixed rate will stay the same for the agreed period. Uh, so there's some comfort in that, okay? Um, the, 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 problem with, um, the, the problem with fixed rates really is that if you fix it for sort of 20 years or something like that and then want to change halfway through, there can be penalties for actually breaking that fixed rate contract. Um, and those penalties can be, quite, can be quite large. I mean, some of the listeners may, may well be familiar with some of the big fixed rate loans that have been taken out in the past. Seemed a good idea at the time and they were getting 6 or 8% or something like that. But now base rate is 0.1%. Suddenly they look horrendous. Seemed a good idea at the time, but now it's not. And if they want to get out of those, they can pay some, some big penalties. So you need to be aware of what the penalties are. There are two types of penalty you tend to get. One is um, what they call a market rate penalty. And what they do there is um, they look at the rate when you want to break it, when you want to come out of the loan compared with the rate when you went in. So what base rate was effective the market rate then. And they will basically charge you, calculate the difference between the two. The other one is a defined rate, and that is basically a percentage. So simplistically, if you break it in the first couple of years, you'll pay 5% of the loan. If you break it in the last couple of years, you maybe only pay 1%. So it's sort of on a sliding scale. Difficult to say which the best of those are. Um, the defined rate, obviously, if you break it early, is going to probably be more expensive. The market rate, in theory, could actually be negative in the sense that you could make money out of a market rate break if the rate goes down. Although, given where we are now, that's probably unlikely. Um, my tip really on it, though, is you think about your own personal circumstances. Obviously, some people like the fixed rate because if they consider the notional rent they're getting back from the NHS to be essentially fixed, so therefore link the two up and everybody's happy. If you're not sure, then with the larger loans, you can probably do a bit of both. So you could, for example, if, I mean, if you're taking a partnership loan for you know, 500,000 million pounds, which is un uncommon, you could fix half of it. Or, or you might just fix them for 10 years out of a 20-year loan. You, know, you, you don't have to be an all or nothing on this. You can often do a bit of both. But the trouble is with do you fix or, or go variable, you'll only know with hindsight whether you were right or not, I'm afraid. So what you're telling me is you've got all this experience, you have all this <laughs> services, but yeah, predicting future interest rates is not one of the services that you provide. Is that a fair statement? That is absolutely spot on. Oh, oh, yeah. It's very disappointing to me. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? But uh, I think it's a great, you know, outlining of all the issues. And, and I like uh, what you said about tearing it down towards the end. So the penalty isn't so um, hard. So here's something that I think is really, really important for any GP partnership, but it's often neglected, especially around property succession planning, because if you want to get into this partnership as a young partner, you're also going to want to get out. And that means at the end, you're going to need to get someone else in. And I think a lot of partnerships don't think this far ahead. So tell us a bit more about that with regards to loans. Yeah, I think, as we said um, on, on the first tip, uh, I think when you actually join the join the property, join the partnership, or you almost need to be thinking at that stage about how you're going to get out. Because if you have problems getting in, then when you get out, you might have sort of the, the reverse problem almost. So I think when you're looking at the finance, you should always be looking at least five, 10 years ahead. 
what might be coming up on the on the agenda in respect to partner changes and mergers, etc. Do you what's what what flexibility do you need within the loan process within the loan for that? And what's the process for actually changing those partners? Some banks have very good processes in place where you don't necessarily have to retake the security. They can use the same form and sort of roll over partners, etc. So you need to understand the flexibility within the loan to enable you to do that. Um, obviously, we'd just be talking about fixed rates. Don't get trapped by some sort of fixed rate that means you can't break the loan. You need to actually get the new partners in. You, you do get a few, a few problems with that. Um, I think you should always be looking at the... Uh, Within the partnership agreement, what is the agreement about um, buying partners out? You know, does the partner have to sell? Does the new partner coming in have to buy? Um, I think some of those problems have led to the last man standing, which is a, a, a thing that you may have may have heard, where someone ends up and suddenly realises they're, they're the only owner that's left because other people haven't bought out. The other side of that is you'll get people that actually continue to own even after they've retired. And the danger with that is if you go back to the first first one about how to own, if you get to a position where you've got maybe everybody actually, but suddenly they're no longer clinical partners within the clinical partnership, the owners are actually sitting outside of it. It, you know, because they've all retired, they're no longer working in there. You get to a position then where you've got an investment situation rather than owner-occupied. That can mean that you've got to have leases in place, which it costs. You've got to go into rent reimbursement, so you get the DV involved, so district value involved in actually having to assess what the rents are. It's not rent it's rent reimbursement rather than notional rent. There's all sorts of problems that you get into on there, and you've, you've just got to think about the succession from the start. How are you going to roll over these partners um, as they as they join? I think you've just perfectly summarised why I'm not a fan of uh, retired partners continuing to own part of the premises. And I'm also not a fan of new partners not being able to buy in. I mean, I know it's different for everybody and stuff, but um, certainly that's been my experience of that. It's like a lot of these things, actually, Tom. If you get it agreed from the start, you know that all new partners have got to buy in. When you leave, you've got to sell within 12 months or whatever it is, and then everybody knows where they stand. If it, because otherwise, it's just a recipe for dispute almost, dare I say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, come, it comes back again to just get a good partnership agreement, really good partnership agreement. The, the, okay. the, there's one other little quick example I'd like. Can I just throw in one quick example yeah. there, though? One case that, that came to me recently where um, there were three partners. Uh, they got a big fixed rate low mortgage, which was which was coming up, so they needed to get another, um, they needed to refinance it. They'd had it interest only, so uh, it was it was still quite a large mortgage. Wanted the finance, thought, yeah, this won't be a problem. The difficulty we ran into there was the youngest of the three was 58, and the banks will tend to only lend up to age 70, and there were no new partners coming through. So um, you, you suddenly had a situation there where it was very difficult to find the new finance because all banks wanted to do was lend for a maximum of 13 years, which suddenly squeezed the repayments to make it to make it quite difficult. So in the ideal world, you get a good succession with you know younger people coming through, good spread of ages, etc. So so um, yeah, it, it can really lead to difficult if it's not thought about early on. Yeah, that's a really good, really good point. Um, Fifty-eight is incredibly young. I just like to point out, but uh, in, in mortgage lending terms, <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> mortgage lending terms, maybe not so young. Um, yeah. Okay, your tip eight. I mean, you've 
probably been saying this for 43 years. If I know anything about doctors, it's like that they like to leave everything until the very last minute. But uh, you might as well say tip eight and uh, we won't listen because we're doctors and we like to leave everything to the last minute. But hit us with tip eight. Yeah, I just say, yeah allow plenty of time for this to go through. I say it's human nature that everybody's busy um, and finance, whatever, gets kicked down the road and you went to the last minute. And, you know, the number of times somebody comes, they want this loan, they you know, potentially a refinance, a big one, et cetera, and literally want it in two weeks' time or something like that. It's just not going to happen. Unsecured loans, I'm afraid, within business, will, will take a couple of weeks, might take a bit more than that. Uh, but if you start getting into more complex secured loans where you've got property involved and things like that and have to do all the searches uh, or the other legals get involved. It can take, I'd say certainly allow three months. It can take six. Uh, I, terrible to say that. I sometimes wonder myself why it takes so long, but just accept it. It, it does. Uh, and the problem that really comes in, I think from a tip point of view is some of the options I, I've, I've talked about is if you haven't got the time, it will limit your options. So you might suddenly find you've got to go for this high rate unsecured loan because you don't have time to put the secured loan in place. And that secured loan would be better for when the next partner chain comes in and the next partner chain comes in, but you just never seem to get around to it. And you end up, I guess, in, you know, it's like putting a sticky plaster on or whatever you might be able to think of as a good medical example, you know, where you do something which is a quick fix, but actually it's not solving the underlying problem. So allow plenty of time and do the right thing. Yeah. Never, um, too, never too soon to start. I mean, I've got some that are looking at maturities of loans in 2022 and I'm already dealing with with them and that's the best thing you can always do that yeah i mean i admire your optimism telling doctors to start early um but uh, <laughs> if i know doctors uh we're not going to listen we do we do like to leave things to the last minute but i think it's really useful to get an idea of the time scales involved you know this is not like arranging your residential mortgage it's a lot more detailed. no it's, it's yeah it's a lot, lot longer than that yeah okay cool uh, and then tip nine uh, again i love this one compare like with like because it's so difficult to do this uh, because there's so many things to compare so to make sure you are comparing apples of apples basically so give us some tips about how things people can do to make sure they are comparing like with like apples with apples it is a tremendous choice out there now and and you know one time it was like bank a or b and this was the loan and and you just go on the rate there are now so many variables within it and it is very difficult to compare I've said already about this sort of five-year versus 25-year commitment. Make sure you're comparing the right rate on, on that. Um, the, the, the secured, unsecured premium. Are, are the rates they're quoting for secured or unsecured? Are they fixed or are they variable? Um, look at the setup costs because there are some banks who actually don't charge a setup cost or the other banks will charge up to 2%. That's a, that's a lot of money. But then if you're... Uh, doing like one of the five-year type deals, then you might end up paying 1.5% or 1, 1.5% every five years. So again, the interest rate may be cheaper, but you've got to weigh up one against the other to see which is better for you. But if you've got lots of partner changes and you need that flexibility, the five-year deal probably works. So think of what's what's right. The, the um, uh, valuations, some banks actually have a right and some actually do revalue every three to five years. Other banks won't bother revaluing. So long as you keep paying the mortgage, I wouldn't say they don't care, but you know what I mean? They, they won't bother you about it, whereas some will keep uh, keep, mortgage, uh, keep keep revaluing. 
Also, within the segments, I've said that, that there are different terms and fees within the segments of each bank. So you can you can find almost you know competition within within the banks and different charges there. It, what I like to do with this is is sort of set out all the charges, find which is the best type of loan to actually fit that client's needs, and normally, to be honest, that hones it down to two or three. You know, and then you begin to see what's important. Is it the is it the headline rate that's the important part? Is it the fact they want it, you know, consistency for twenty years or something like that? So that that will point them in one direction. Some just want to sort of uh, and you know just being simplistic, but some doctors just want to set it aside and forget about it for the next twenty years. That's fine. You know, you can pay a rate for that if you want to uh, keep reviewing it. Then you might get better rates, but you've got work involved in in reviewing it. So. Lots of different choices. You've got to look at all those bits there to make uh, and make sure that one bank is being compared properly with the other, and you're getting the bits that you want. Yeah, and uh, you know, if you didn't use an independent broker to arrange your loan and just rocked up to one bank and took that deal, um, then really, really, really important that you go through that process that you just outlined because the chances are there might be a better option elsewhere if you shop around using a broker like yourselves. Is that a fair? Uh, statement yeah i mean as we've said that the banks can only sell their own products basically so yep. you'll uh, say get what you're given but you know what i mean that that's what you'll get and uh you might not be aware that those are the choices are out there so there's no harm in asking there's no cost in asking so yep okay cool uh tip 10 i mean you are this <laughs> where you're preaching to the converted on this one to use specialists but i think this is something that is often overlooked by doctors because this is a really niche area and it does need specialist advice but uh, tell us about the benefits of using specialists and also there's definitely more than one specialist involved in uh, the property side of things yeah and, and i think um I know this fits very well with with uh, with medics money, but you know, use the specialist. It's not the. It's about value, not about the cheapest. You know, it's about what, are you getting the right sort of advice. So, you certainly need to use specialist lawyers on the on the uh, property side for partnership agreements. I think it's false economy not to do that. Same with the accountants. You really need to make sure you've got one of the specialist accountants that understands it, the the, the pension side, the tax side, etc. Um, on the property advice, you know, if you're if you're talking to values, etc., again, the banks will always use specialist values. But if you're not going to take that route, then make, make sure again you're using some of the specialists that are out there. And within banks, you know, do the banks actually have a specialist team? Is the person that's going to look after your account a specialist who understands it? They might not, you know, uh, be super detailed in it, but at least they've got to have an understanding of what the notional rents are and you know the contracts are, etc. Um, and and for me as well, you know, you can get IFAs and, and various uh, brokers out there, but hopefully one that understands some of the can I say quirks almost of, of you know the, the finances within within GP land. I think it's I think it's so important. And also within a property deal, you know, when, when we're looking at a, um, uh, a loan for property, I would always be looking to involve the accountant and the lawyers uh, as, well as, as well as the bank. Because sometimes uh, you look at some of the tax issues or, or, or even the ownership side, and there might be things that suit the tax side, which actually will prevent certain loans on the bank side. Um, I mentioned about the sort of owner-occupied versus investment side through a company. So there might be tax advantages to some people through doing it through a company, but then that's going to restrict the options you've got 
on the finance side, etc. So it, it's sort of using all those specialists to work together to get the best for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's about getting the right advice for the right price. And that's what we do at Medics Money. And um, yeah, you know, I'm more than happy for you to use the cheapest gas or the cheapest electricity, right? Because your boiler doesn't know whether it's being fed yeah. the cheapest gas on the market. It all burns the same, right? But for these kind of specialist things, you need to be sure that you're getting the right specialist advice for the right price. And I think we do that quite well at Medics Money. Okay, Ian, that was an amazingly good whip through of that. Uh, we've got all this on an article on our website as well. And I think we're also going to organize a webinar where people can bring their property issues to you and uh, we can go through sure. that. So keep, uh, yeah, keep an eye on your uh, emails for that. But if people want to contact you, um, I'll drop your email. Uh, but do you want to just tell the people how they can contact you? Just because you can give them a free consultation, chat through things and sort of give them Absolutely. an indication. Yeah, I, the, the, um, my, well, the website, if you go onto that, then uh, you've got all my contact details on there. And that is uh, www.primarycarefinance. So that's sort of as, as one word, .co.uk. Awesome. And uh, we've sent loads of our colleagues and people from Medics Money to Ian, and uh, the feedback has yeah. been amazing throughout. So well, well done for the great Good. service that you provide to us. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really look forward to coming on again. I think maybe next time we could bring some case studies or things like that. That would be really interesting, I think. Yeah, yeah, that would be <laughs> no problem at all. All right, take care. Thanks. Bye.